The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Even though we do not know what we are looking for, we do know the approximate value of the weed itself. Gentlemen, I would like to hear your opinions. A million? The television set alone is worth close to a million. A billion dollars. Now we're getting somewhere. I'm freezing at 200 million. Well, Sarge, I, I think it's four, four billion. You're all wrong. Nine billion big ones, boys. And you know what that means. The better the bust, the, the bigger the boost. Excellent. Well, I guess that about wraps it up. Any questions? Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, October 24th, 2019. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be Today's show was inspired by a handful of newspaper articles that caught my attention over the past weekend. And at first impression, when I share them with you, you might be led to believe that the subject matter and theme of our show today is about cannabis, alcohol, and tobacco. But not so, even though we will be talking about cannabis, alcohol, and tobacco. You'll understand exactly what I'm getting at right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org Subscribe to Just Right on iTunes and follow us on SoundCloud. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Visit us at www.justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of Just Right's social media links, our archived broadcasts, and of course, where we encourage you to offer your financial support and in so doing, becoming part of our effort to enlighten others about the true nature of freedom and capitalism. Although the spotlight of our show today is mainly on cannabis, today's show is really about government corruption. So let's begin by introducing Canada's governing potheads, politicians and special interests, who have unethically and immorally seized control of a pre-existing market that they now wish to monopolize and control for their own interests, the newly so-called legalized cannabis market. It may not be funny, but National Post columnist Terence Corcoran saw the humor in the whole situation when he wrote his October 18th commentary in the National Post with the compelling headline, Bring Back Cannabis Free Market. Quote, Somebody somewhere must be working on a script for Potbusters, the hilarious story of the bumbling attempt by Canada's political, regulatory, and corporate establishments, the high powers of the mixed economy, to take over the national market for cannabis. It's a riot of bureaucratic slapstick, pompous posturing, regulator pretentiousness, corporate schemers, and botched financial planning. A true comedy. Opening scene. A character played by Bill Murray, an old pro operator of flamethrower equipment, arrives at a suburban Toronto warehouse to perform his potbuster duties. Wearing heavy gear with the words Health Canada written across the back, he looks through grizzled, experienced eyes at a 12,000-kilogram mound of cannabis. There's something you don't see every day. Got to be worth $100 million at least, he says. Beside him, also in Health Canada gear, is another old pro potbuster played by Dan Aykroyd. 
Oh, my God, this is a harmless mound of pot, something I've loved since my childhood, something that could never possibly destroy us. We used to smoke it by the fire at Camp Oconda. So what? We've got a job to do. One, two, three. The characters crouch down and blast flames at the cannabis, which explodes in a yellow blaze and pungent smoke. The Ackroyd character breaks down almost in tears. How did we come to this? Well, someone else can finish the script, but it's a good question. The scene describes the latest wonky development in Canada's absurd one-year-old cannabis legalization experiment, the very first policy initiative of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's newly elected Liberal government back in 2015. Since then, hundreds of millions of dollars have been splashed around the country by investors looking to make quick dollars by manufacturing and distributing a product that already had a functioning, low-cost market system in place. Some call it the black market, but the existing market was, in fact, the closest perfect example of a free market, a low-cost, high-quality product without the benefit of stockbrokers, securities regulators, scheming politicians, and corporate wheeler-dealers attempting to capitalize on government regulation. It turned out one of those companies... Can Trust Holdings Incorporated had been secretly growing cannabis products in unlicensed portions of its Ontario facilities without proper approval from Health Canada. The department moved in, seized the products involved, and has ordered their destruction. How? Who are you going to call? Potbusters. How did we arrive at a point where a legal corporation finds itself in the clink for doing what thousands of people have been doing illegally and mostly freely for decades? By all accounts, the previously existing free market in cannabis still delivers the best outcome, low prices, high quality, and ease of purchase. The logical conclusion? In an ideal world, Canada should have simply declared cannabis legal. Instead, state planners aim to subvert the free market and install a modern, regulated, corporatist model that drove up prices, failed on quality, and stumbled setting up retail systems. Could we start again? Send in potbusters to take down the lawyers, bureaucrats, corporate dealers, securities regulators, and tax collectors. Let the old free market run the cannabis industry. End quote. Well, here, here. And only the day before that commentary appeared in the National Post, this October 17th news item from the London Free Press appeared with the headline Regulator Turfs Pot Store Lottery Winner, which was written by Dale Carruthers. Quote, A winner from the Ontario Second Pot Lottery, who was planning to open a cannabis retail store in northwest London, has been disqualified. Robert Komiak proposed to open a recreational pot shop in a commercial plaza at 1310 Fanshawe Park Road West in Hyde Park. But Komiak's application, one of 42 selected from nearly 5,000 expressions of interest, was disqualified last Thursday, says the Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario, AGCO, the province's pot regulator. According to the AGCO, Komiak's application was disqualified under lottery rules that required successful applicants to submit a $50,000 letter of credit from a financial institution, provide proof that a retail space had been secured, and pay fees of $10,000 within five business days of announcement of the lottery draw. While I'm unable to speak to the status of individual applications, I can say that the lottery rules for the allocation lottery were explicit. Those who did not meet those requirements were disqualified, AGCO's Ray Kaynert said by email. Twenty applications have been disqualified since the August 20 draw. 
I think even a December opening at this point is optimistic, said Ottawa-based cannabis lawyer Trina Fraser, whose clients include some of the lottery winners. Most are waiting to receive location approvals from the AGCO. Proposed sites must undergo a 15-day public consultation period before renovating their stores, Fraser said. End quote. Well, from the sounds of things, the losers in this lottery are far better off than the winners. Winning the right to be regulated by legal criminals is like winning the right you know, to go to jail and be locked up for life. And as further examples, consider the following two items, also both written by Dale Carruthers in the London Free Press. This one from the April 17th edition. London pot shop owner fined again for late start. Quote, an Ontario numbered company is one of 11 store owners forfeiting an additional $12,500 to the Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario for failing to be in business by April 14th, a spokesperson for the regulator confirmed. This is not a fine. It was a condition of participating in the lottery, AGCO spokesperson Raymond Kainert said in an email. End quote. Notice that despite that outright denial that the $12,500 wasn't a fine, the headline of the same article still read, Pot Owner Fined. And then three or four weeks later, on May 7th, the same writer, in the same paper, ran the following headline, Pot Store Slapped with $50,000 Penalty. Quote, The owner of the London Cannabis Resale Store that still isn't open has been penalized $50,000 by the province's pot regulator. 25 individuals and companies were selected through a lottery system to open one of the province's first bricks-and-mortar marijuana retail stores, but only 10 of the operators were able to meet the April 1st deadline, end quote. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I just can't find the appropriate words to express my contempt and disgust for the people who came up with these rules and regulations. This regulatory regime is so ridiculous and irrational and corrupt that there's no comedy skit that anyone could possibly write to properly capture and convey the true evil at the root of it. Who fears criminals and organized crime when our politicians and bureaucrats wield far more power and are far less trustworthy than the worst of the supposed organized criminals? Talk about an extortion racket. Worse, those who win the lottery win the right to be extorted from, and not just once, but perpetually. You can count on it. Extortionists don't just stop with a single down payment. And, you know, the sheer immorality and hypocrisy of the whole situation needs to be addressed. And personally, I've never heard of anything more stupid than awarding licenses to retailers of anything based on a lottery. This was clearly done to disguise the crony nature of the whole scheme by being able to argue that no particular individual licensee was granted special favor or privilege by a specific crony politician. But that changes nothing. It's still crony politics, only this time the extortion is completely out in the open. That bag looks a little small. Oh, (laughs) do not just say that. Bitch, I can eyeball an ounce from outer space with my glasses, correct? Give me that. Oh, uh-huh. mm. acting like you know, right? And checks your ass can't cash. You never question Higgins eyeballing. That's the Rain Man of Weed right there. Amen. I apologize. I'm still new at this. I stand corrected. Stand. You on your knees, correct? Getting all beside herself. Gonna come up my head. Tell me about my business. Girl, you need to recognize. All right. All right. Fine. I'm a bitch ass 
bitch. <laughs> Give me a little respect. I'm the biggest game in the private community of Agrestic. Drugs sell themselves, biscuit. Uh-uh, take that crap off my money. You not giving me a present. You're paying me for weed. Excuse me for trying to bring a little beauty into an ugly world. <laughs> Nancy, oh, I'm such a phase that I totally forgot you were coming. Don't smoke it all at once. What? What's wrong? I'm flush. What do you mean you're flush? I'm cool. I'm stocked, fat, no needy, more weedy. I only sold you a quarter last week. You couldn't possibly have any left the way you smoke. Oh, I burned through that days ago. Check this out. What is this? I'm a medical marijuana card. I got a note from a clinic doc for a hundred bucks. Went down to the pot store, and mama... I was home. Oh, it's a weed wonderland, Nancy. It's like Amsterdam, only better, because you don't have to visit the Anne Frank house to pretend to be all sad and stuff. See this lollipop? It isn't... Yes, I'm getting high right now. You can't even tell. How is this possible? The genius of Prop 215. Medical marijuana for sick people. And seriously, who couldn't use a little medicating, right? My friend's friend's friend gave me the address of the clinic and I went down there and I loaded up. God, I love California. I can't wait to tell the poker guys about it. The one buzzkill is you can only buy eight ounces a visit. That's half a pound. Well, they allow you to make two visits a day, but you know, with all the traffic on the 110, that's practically impossible. Are you with me? Mm-mm. No, no, it's all true. I don't kid about my weed. I need the address. Nancy, you're a pot dealer. Why would you take advantage of a medical provider when you already have the connections? That's just greedy. Douglas. Okay, fine. As long as you're braving the traffic, would you mind picking up a dozen more lollipops for me? Wild cherry. I love the way you love me and the way you're misbehaving Ganja babe, my sweet ganja babe Come wake my body, I'll take my mind away yeah. Hi there, welcome, I'm Craig X And you are at the Bodhi Sativa Caregivers Club How can we care for you? Hi, I'm kind of new at this. A virgin? I'm... Don't worry, I'll be gentle on you. Come on this way. The first thing you want to do when you come to the club is check out the big board. On the big board here, we have all the prices and strains, and they do change daily. Hey, Billy, how's the anxiety? All right, cool. What were they saying? The, the big, big board. board. I've got space. And on this big board, we got two specials today. This is what you want to check out. The Granddaddy Perp. It's actually purple. It's an Indica Sativa blend. The flavor is bellissima. Second, we got the Here's Johnny, the king of late night. You don't want to be messing with this before the sun goes down. It'll knock you out. In the other room, we've got the clones. Uh, hey, how's it going, Robbie? See, the arthritis is getting better, huh? Yeah, you know it. Oh, uh, cool. Uh, what was I saying? Clones. Oh, yeah. I, you hear that dial tone? My clones are off the hook. Check this out. We have the most beautiful clones. They're $10 a piece, and ours are guaranteed female. So get you started. 
And over here we've got the food section. Hey, Mrs. Rappaport, nice to see you. You look beautiful. We got your sponge cake in back, okay? Go ahead and get that. Thanks. She's got diabetes. Uh, we make it with Splenda instead of sugar. What was I saying? Edibles. Edibles. Okay, look at all this great stuff. We have infusions, goos, keefs, keef oils, hash oils, hemp oils. You look a little overwhelmed. Well, where does all this come from? A combination of our patients themselves and some very compassionate farmers doing God's work. And it's all legal. Well, we operate under the guidelines of Health and Safety Code 11362.5. Douglas, que onda huevos? I just couldn't stay away. It's the beauty of this place. You don't have to, man. Welcome back. Hmm. I love it here so much. He's suffering from depression. And that's... Hey, any more Stephen Hawking? I want to be wheeled out of here. Oh, yeah, I'll hook you up. Come on, let's go. It's a mess. What did I tell you, Nance? You sold me skankweed. And I can't move it, and I want a refund. Mm. I just went to this place, this store. It was like the Whole Foods of pot. Listen to her. Bobby thinks she discovered the cannabis club. Welcome to the party, baby. It isn't a party. It's a nightmare. How can I compete with that? Well, when you figure it out, you let me know. We Boutique sent my business off. How much business off again? 17%. 17%. What's the world coming to when they legalize weed? Ain't no goddamn morals left. So don't come crying to me because I got my own troubles. <laughs> the irony and humor in that last comment is less about the morality of cannabis use than it is about the morality of a legal monopoly on the sale of cannabis. This one from the National Post, June 12th of this year. How Not to Legalize Cannabis by Herbert Grubel, Professor Emeritus of Economics at Simon Fraser University. And I quote, this gives an interesting history, by the way. When Bill C-45 was passed in 2017, making the sale and recreational consumption of cannabis legal, politicians proudly announced that Canada's legalization of cannabis and the regulations around its sales and production would provide a guide to the world on how to legalize. However, 19 months after the bill passed and nearly eight months after legalization took effect on October 17, 2018, provinces have failed to license enough retail stores and suppliers to meet the demand of consumers. As a result, unlicensed retail stores and black market dealers continue to operate. Supplies come from unlicensed growers, some of which may have links to criminals and organized crime. Nor are these conditions likely to improve soon. The reason is that politicians are involved in the design of regulations of the market, which allows interest groups to ask for special favors in return for electoral support. And of course, this is called crony politics. Labor groups have pushed for retail stores to be owned by the government and operated by unionized workers. Potential producers and retailers of cannabis want licensing rules that protect them from domestic, foreign, and internet competition. Then there are regulations ensuring the purity of cannabis products the correct labeling of the amount of active ingredients, prohibition of sales to youths, and the creation of proper enforcement procedures for these regulations. These regulations in the public interest are needed, but the process of creating them is unnecessarily politicized and delayed." End quote. Now, at this point, I would argue that it's completely unnecessary. People who don't get the product they expect generally will you know, not return to get ripped off a second time. And beyond that, there's always a mechanism of a lawsuit and court action should it prove to be worth the effort relative to the dissatisfaction of the customer. If people need accurate labeling of such products, a market will arise for that need, as was already happening long before pot became quote-unquote legalized. 
Now, this next sentence at first raised a bunch of red flags for me, given that I'm a resident of Ontario, from the same article. Quote, the irony is that these delays in the licensing of producers and sellers and the adoption of regulations of the cannabis market could have been avoided almost completely if politicians had been wise enough to copy regulations that currently exist for the market of alcoholic beverages. This market once also involved total prohibition, but through time has been deregulated to where in most American states and European countries and a slowly growing number of Canadian provinces, the production and sale of alcohol are almost totally run by private firms free from special operating requirements. In other provinces, the free market remains stalled by the entrenched interests created by government liquor monopolies, end quote. And of course, Ontario remains one of the backward provinces that monopolizes alcohol sales. And for foreign private interests, no less, when you consider the status of Ontario's beer stores. The article continues, quote, in all jurisdictions that have moved to the use of private sector production and sales, government regulations are used to ensure the proper purity, alcoholic contents, and labeling of alcoholic beverages. Laws restrict the sale of beverages to youth and the operation of vehicles by impaired drivers. Alcoholic beverages and cannabis have in common a serious problem. It is widely believed that prices for these products determined in a private market would be so low as to lead to high levels of consumption and accompanying major health and social problems. For this reason, governments impose so-called sin taxes on alcoholic beverages and are expected to impose sin taxes on cannabis products eventually too. Think about that. However, the ability of government to impose these sin taxes is limited by the fact that at some critical level they encourage production and sales by black markets. After much experimentation, governments have set taxation levels that prevent the development of such markets while discouraging excess consumption and also raise considerable amounts of revenue for the authorities. The taxation of cannabis products may be expected to be set after some experimentation at a similarly optimal level. End quote. Now, I have to stop here for a moment. These so-called sin taxes have no legitimate place in a free democracy since they treat the consumers of the products who are so taxed differently from consumers of other products. The sales taxes on alcohol should be no different from the sales tax rates on any legal product. That's the way it should be. Equality before and under the law. You can't have one group of people telling another group of people how much of something they should consume. To continue, quote, there is still time for Canadian governments to serve the public by copying the market for alcoholic beverages, abandon background checks and other licensing requirements for producers and sellers by simply letting individuals and firms operate production facilities and retail outlets, risking their own money, enact and enforce regulations affecting the quality and level of active ingredients in cannabis products like those that have been proven to work in the market for alcohol beverages. But chances are that politicians will not. They will instead continue to design regulations that will buy the votes of powerful interest groups, all justified as being in the public interest, which will end up delivering licensing delays and inferior services to consumers, making it possible for unlicensed producers and retailers to stay in business." End quote. Well, for starters, I don't think the government should be in the alcohol business any more than it should be in the cannabis business. Because as soon as it is, it ceases to be a government and becomes a monopoly player, one that can change the rules of the game at whim. Now remember, 
This was an economic analysis, and I've long held that deciding what is right and wrong based only on economic reasoning is one-dimensional and not something on which alone to base moral or political considerations and decisions. I mean, the idea of establishing an additional sin tax on a product based on what the market will bear is not a free market suggestion, but it is an economic one. And while I realize that prices can be a restrictive factor in the sales of a given product, raising such prices artificially is just an act of one person forcing his or her morals or will upon another. I don't have any right to tell somebody else how much of a particular product they should be consuming, so neither does anybody else. Yet this is how our politicians think and behave, as if it's perfectly normal and acceptable. Well... Let's take a brief step back in time to the year before pot was legalized. What we're about to hear next was originally broadcast way back on June 26, 2014 on the then still existing Sun TV network, yet another source of information that was regulated out of existence by regulators at the CRTC. I'm actually not in favor of decriminalizing cannabis. I'm in favor of legalizing it. Tax and regulate. Remember this? Justin Trudeau launching his big pot push, becoming the first major party leader to support the legalization of marijuana. It's one of the only ways to keep it out of the hands uh, of our kids because the current war on drugs, the current model is not working. But critics worry that changing the current model could increase the already growing number of drivers taking the wheel while high. For years we've been dealing as early as 1996-97 with people coming to the organization that their loved one has been killed in a drug-related uh, crash, not alcohol-related. Look at the steady climb year after year. Drug-related driving charges go up, but there's still a fraction of those related to alcohol. And right now, there's no breathalyzer equivalent to determine if drivers have been smoking pot. But speaking to Sun News this week, Justin Trudeau says he trusts the eyes and ears of police on the ground to tell if someone is high. There are still ways of uh, testing whether someone is, is uh, unable to walk in a straight line or touch their finger with their nose, uh, and police officers are very good at detecting people under the influence and it's that kind of confidence we need. One criminal law expert says this policy just doesn't work in the real world. Just the reality is that it is extremely rare to see a conviction for impaired driving by way of marijuana. We do see charges from time to time. The reality I think is that many police officers don't even bother to lay those charges because they know the challenge uh, that comes with trying to prove them. Trudeau does say he'd spend money to solve this problem but only after pot is legalized. Uh, once we legalize will be able to invest uh, some of the money that is now wasted on uh, funding criminal organizations on the kind of research that's going to keep people safe. And the numbers suggest Trudeau has his work cut out for him. According to one study, 40% of young people surveyed said they drove under the influence of cannabis in the last year, compared to 21% for alcohol. Generally speaking, alcohol, marijuana, opioids, uh, some uh, benzodiazepines, all can cause cognitive decline and drowsiness. And certainly if I counsel my patients in terms of driving, uh, I certainly would not recommend any of those products before driving. So I think uh, marijuana is in the same situation. I do not think it's safe. There is technology to detect marijuana at roadside, but it's not legal in Canada. And the results are far from instant. It's a saliva test that could show if a driver is positive for drugs, but it's only a screening and requires a more lengthy follow-up process in the lab and expert toxicologists to determine the precise results.
And in the absence of a better system, it's hard to say how legalizing pot would make our roads safer. If it's legalized, we should at least anticipate a significant uptick in the number of people who are going to take the risk of driving while under the influence of marijuana. Here comes trouble. Hey, family. You ain't no family of mine. State your business. What, does the guy need a reason to visit his friends? What's up? Well, I decided to go into business for myself. I'm gonna sell marijuana. I was wondering if you might know where I could procure some, would you? Well, where you planning to unload this uh, marijuana that you speak of? Why, in the wide open community of Agresta, California, there's not enough pot in the world to get those people stoned enough to forget where they live, so, uh, figure I got a pretty good shot. Okay, so, so, you gonna mess with your sister-in-law? Damn, that's, that's cold. I feel there's enough room for both of us. Yeah, but see, Nancy been working really hard to lock that area down, and if And that's her problem, not yours. You got cash? Get the boy an ounce. I love you, mommy. Wacky to baggy. It made me feel so good. Wacky to baggy. Just like you said it would. Everybody do it. Oh, you gotta be kidding me. Sir, you do realize you just rolled through a stop sign, right? Nice bike. Did your horse die? Sir. You must be in killer shape. Let me see your quads, man. Can I see your driver's license and registration, please? When you arrest people, do they just sit on the back with their arms around you? I step out of the car. Oh, come on. Seriously, I'm just having fun. I mean, you're a <clears throat> cop in bike shorts. It's adorable. I have a gun. Cool. I'm cool. What's that smell? Come on, man. Just give me my ticket so I can go, okay, please? All right, turn around put your hands behind your head. Oh. All right, come on. You know, I don't think you're adorable anymore. The guy was on a bike, for God's sake. Because you're stupid. So, Ms. Greenstein, what, what happens now? Incarceration in a medium security prison for a period no longer than 10 years. 10 years? Joke! <laughs> Loosen up, everybody. There's nothing to worry about. You're looking at a fine and probably an anti-drug class. So no jail time? You've obviously never sat through an anti-drug class. You had less than an ounce on you. There's no jail for that. Oh, that's bullshit. I don't understand. That's good news. I paid for a full ounce. They fucking cheated me. They fucking saved your ass from going to jail. Still, that's very uncool. There used to be an unbroken spiritual bond between dealer and buyer. I feel your pain, Andrew, and I return it with a renewed sense of outrage. So less than an ounce is a misdemeanor. And that's only if the cop's an asshole. Most cops just let you go. What if the marijuana is in baked goods, say candy or chocolate? If you can eat it, you can beat it. 
What would get their attention? If I sued them, can I sue them? You were saying? All right, you get it. <clears throat> the lay of the land. Marijuana currently exists in a legal gray area. It's not illegal to have weed, less than an ounce that is, Andrew, but it's illegal to buy it. What about growing? Ah, botany. As long as it's not broken down, non-specific weight, we're talking a slap on the wrist, three to five. Years? Probation. I'm hungry. Ow. So you can grow it, but you can't break it down. Not unless you want to go to jail, or flee to Mexico, or Canada. Canada rocks. Prima weed, really good Chinese food. And you are listening to Just Right, which originates in Canada and broadcasts around the world and online. When we talk about legalizing something, the default switch is set at the thing being legalized as being something that is already not legal and shouldn't be legal. For example, murder is illegal and should never be quote-unquote legalized. But no rational person would ever suggest that breathing should ever be legalized. But given the widespread irrational and ignorant views about carbon dioxide, some bureaucrat somewhere might come up with a way to legalize breathing. After all, it would be done for the safety of others and for the safety of the planet itself. And if that were the case, see I'm writing my own script now, then you have to start counting the number of inhalations you make, since if legalized it would have to be regulated and controlled in some manner. Maybe they would force you to wear some kind of human carbon collection device collected by putting a mask on your face when you're in public. Sound ridiculous? <laughs> it is. But it's no different than what we're hearing from climate change alarmists. And as far as driving and intoxication is concerned, I've noted that there's a big difference between alcohol and pot consumers. Maybe you've noticed it too, but when someone's very drunk, generally they lose all inhibitions against driving and their sense of judgment is also impaired. But someone who feels very stoned generally will not get behind the wheel of a car because, very unlike alcohol, their sense of judgment is not impaired even though they might be. This is a very big difference in the way people react to these drugs. Now, there are always exceptions to these behavioral patterns, especially when considering how experienced or inexperienced a particular user might be. The greatest risks, of course, occur among the inexperienced, which naturally places the odds running against the youngest demographic. But when it comes to age restrictions, and I know this is about as politically incorrect as I can get, but I remember when as a kid, between 6 and 12 years of age, I had no problem going down to the local grocery or variety store and picking up a carton of Export A cigarettes for my dad and a carton of Matinee cigarettes for my mother. No retailer ever blinked twice, and I could always go to the store to buy cigarettes for my parents. Now, my father never quit smoking and passed away in his early 70s, whereas my mother did quit smoking and today is in her 90s. And as for me, I never took up the habit of tobacco, even though I was buying tobacco as an underage youth. We live in a different time today, let me tell you. Now, alcohol, of course, was a different story entirely. I remember going to a liquor store with my dad who had to fill out a form that he had to take to a counter where a clerk would have to go back to a storage room to retrieve the product. But it strikes me that there's something about making a thing taboo for a given group and then suddenly, overnight, on someone's 18th or 19th or 21st birthday, eliminating that taboo altogether. It seems to me that this entails a bigger risk than not having any age restrictions, but in enforcing individual responsibility whenever someone's actions violate or threaten the rights of others. 
But I realize there's a catch-22. We don't hold youth under these age boundaries to be responsible in the way an adult could be held responsible. And of course, children are under the additional jurisdiction of their parents. But I never saw anything wrong or anything that should be illegal by parents, say, at a dinner table, letting their kids have a sip of wine. That just seems ridiculous to me to make that an offense of any sort. And as far as all the medical studies go, this is just hilarious. Here's a contrast for you that I ran across over the past year. This one from National Post, February 6th, by Sharon Kirkey. A few joints may boost sperm, study reveals, says the headline. Testosterone higher among pot smokers. While another headline that appeared in the London Free Press on June 11th, written by Jennifer Beeman, has the following headline. Pot takes toll on fertility. London researchers find cannabis use reduces sperm count. <laughs> there you have it. The February 6th report says pot boosts the sperm count, whereas the June 11th report says that pot reduces the sperm count. So who are you going to call? <laughs> pot busters? This from the February 6th report, quote, When Dr. George Chavero's team started investigating marijuana's effect on sperm, they had every reason to believe weed would prove detrimental to testicular function because other studies had said it to be so. Instead, they found the opposite. Men who had ever smoked marijuana had significantly higher sperm concentrations and sperm counts as well as higher testosterone levels compared to men who had never smoked weed. Overall, the sperm of past and current marijuana users seem to be of superior quality. These findings are not consistent with the deleterious role of marijuana smoking on testicular function as initially hypothesized, Chavero and his colleagues report this week in the journal Human Reproduction. End quote. And from the June 11th report, quote, Western University researchers are trying to set the record straight about how marijuana may affect fertility, rounding up the latest research findings in a podcast episode and article for the Canadian Medical Association Journal. The general public's knowledge about the effects of marijuana on fertility is limited. This is equally true of healthcare providers' knowledge, said Sarah Ilnitsky, a reproduction endocrinology and infertility fellow at Western's Schulich School of Medicine and Dentistry. While there are some studies on the relationship between fertility and marijuana use, the number of studies and the quality of the research often leave something to be desired, Ilanitsky said. Raising awareness of the potential fertility impacts of pot is even more pressing since recreational marijuana became legal in Canada last fall and Ontario's first legal pot store is opened in April. Ilnitsky would like to launch a large-scale study of her own on fertility and marijuana use in the future, end quote. Yeah, I'll bet she does. I wonder who she wants to have pay for it. Now, remember one of the fundamental principles of science. Correlation does not necessarily mean causation. There were so many ifs, ands, and buts attached to both of these studies that to draw any direct cause and effect would be a mistake, unless a direct cause to objectively and repeatedly prove these effects can be demonstrated. And then there's the whole vaping issue. Before pot was legalized, vaping lounges ran responsibly and relatively openly and without any trouble, without government regulation, intervention, or control, depending on which local jurisdiction you were in. Some jurisdictions you couldn't do it, others were very tolerant. You might recall that several years ago on this show, we featured guests who were quite openly speaking about their enterprise in Toronto at the time, Chris and Aaron Goodwin, who operated Vapor Central in downtown Toronto. Well, as soon as you legalize vaping devices, 
What you've done is you've given a politician an excuse to regulate or prohibit them in some creative way that might benefit that politician and all of his crony friends, too. This is from the September 19th CTV News, which covered an issue about vaping in our local area here in London. London's status as the home of Canada's first diagnosed vaping-related illness continues to make waves across Canada. Health experts and pro-vaping groups all made additional statements today after the local health unit revealed an area high school-age youth was diagnosed with severe pulmonary illness. The youth has since recovered. Tonight, CTV's Sean Irvin has reaction from teens who vape and a store operator who says the health unit is holding back on crucial information. I say the whole F in school vapes. And while that is surely not true, perception is everything to this group of teens on a break from a local high school. Each one of them says e-cigarettes and vaping are a part of their everyday lives. Well, I've been vaping for five years now. What's the attraction? Is it the flavor? What is it? I don't know, just nice buzz, get you going on the day. But as we discovered from the medical officer of health on Wednesday, for one high school-aged youth, vaping caused a severe illness, requiring, for a time, intensive care. The only issue that was identified was that the individual vaped e-cigarettes. And with seven deaths in the United States, you might expect the teens to be alarmed. But it's better than smoking cigarettes, I think. But cigarettes face heavy regulation that vaping products in Canada do not. Just today, several health groups came together asking for an immediate ban on ads for vaping products and the removal of flavors from electronic cigarettes. In the wake of the health unit's announcement, vape shops are likely to feel the greatest fallout. But at least one operator here in London says the health unit itself has not given out enough information to properly inform the public. Bill Thibodeau, a former two-pack-a-day smoker, converted to vaping five years ago and eventually opened a series of vape shops. He says his goal was to get other people off cigarettes. The news of the youth's condition is troubling to him, but he says it also raises questions. First of all, he believes for public safety, the health unit should be releasing whether or not the youth vaped THC or nicotine-based liquids and what brand caused concern. We won't be commenting on that uh, in this situation in order to protect patient confidentiality. If it was manufactured by us or by anyone else, I think that that would be an appropriate thing to know so that we're not endangering anyone else. Health officials say most chemicals in e-cigarettes have not been tested, an acknowledgement at least one team makes. So who knows what you're putting in there? No idea. Like what it'll actually do, we don't know because we haven't put it through our body long enough. Sean Irvin, CTV News. Okay, so the vaping ban. Everyone's talking about this. I'm recording this from my car right now, so I apologize that I'm not in the studio. It's being uh, reset right now. Uh, l let me say this first off. I, I, I don't vape. I, I, you know, I do. I have a, f a friend who has a vape, and I'll, I'll grab a drag every now and then. Didn't really, don't really like the way it makes me feel. I do smoke cigars, but that doesn't matter. People who don't know Donald Trump, the FDA, the White House, they're proposing an all-out vaping ban on flavored e-cigarettes. If you support that, you're not a conservative. As a matter of fact, if you, if you are against socialism, if you are against government intervention, 
and you support that. You're not a principled person. Even if, even if you don't vape. And by the way, you can still still support Donald Trump in most respects. You can still say that you think he's been a pretty good president and acknowledge that this is a horrible, stupid policy and precedent to set. Uh, unless you're a cheerleader, right? Unless you're one of those alt-right pom-pom waving, trust the plan of Donald Trump cheerleader. And I noticed this with a lot of people. They are against bans until it affects something that, that they care about, that they want banned. So usually on the flip side, right, you have liberals who are pro-ban, on the leftists, pro-ban everything that they think might be harmful until it comes to their thing that might be banned. You know, and then they're all of a sudden about freedom, right? All, all of a sudden when it comes to chopping up a baby and sucking it down a tube, well, we've crossed a bridge too far. Whereas on the flip side, you have a lot of conservatives, and I mean a lot of, more so kind of the, the Trump cheerleaders who've come to it more newly. By the way, I think he's been a surprisingly good president. So don't get me wrong here, but it's okay to question dear leader, okay? People need to understand that. On the flip side, you have conservatives who are against bans until it comes to banning something that they find offensive. Sometimes that can be pornography. Uh, sometimes that can be smoking. In this case, vaping. Listen, I smoke cigars, and that's something coming down the pike for people who don't know. The FDA has also been looking at banning cigars because it's not just e-cigarettes, but all flavored cigarettes. And the idea is to try and minimize underage tobacco use, which I, I understand. Well, they've decided to put cigars on this list, hand-rolled cigars, by the way. And the same study, I don't have it in front of me, this is on my phone here, I think it was the FDA, said that most young people are not smoking cigars, surprisingly enough, because they're too expensive and they're not flavored. But a hand-rolled cigar, seven to $10, that's unflavored, no ingredient, but pure unadulterated tobacco. These cigars come from mom and pop companies. They've been passed down for generations. And the FDA might want to categorize that as all other cigarettes and tobacco products. And by the way, who does that favor? That favors big tobacco. So a couple of things here when we're talking about the vaping ban. For people out there who may, who may consider themselves conservative and still support the vaping ban, all right, let me ask you this, why? Why? If you answer, well, it's dangerous. It's it's. There have been deaths from it. No, no, there haven't. Now there have been some lung-related illnesses and deaths from black market cannabis cartridges that had vitamin E oil in it. I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, vitamin E acetate. So I want to make sure I'm being clear because the pot crowd's going to get mad at me now. I'm not even saying cannabis vape, not CBD, not even THC vape. It was adulterated contaminated cartridges with vitamin E in there, some derivative of vitamin E that becomes toxic when heated to the temperature of vaporization. How many deaths with nicotine vapes? I say this as someone who doesn't vape. None. Zero. So that's not a thing. Then we go into, well, nicotine. Here's something else. You know, I, I'm glad that in Colorado you can you can smoke your 90% THC and your hallucinogenic mushrooms, but God forbid somebody wants to go out for an e-cigarette. But uh, you know what? Both of them have some 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 benefits, and both of them have some drawbacks. There are medical benefits to uh, cannabis. They're overhyped. There are some benefits that you hear about that aren't valid at all and not supported by the research, but there are some that are. But a lot of people don't know this. Nicotine, when separated from combustible cigarettes, has a lot of benefits too. 
Nicotine they're looking at as, as a very promising um, treatment for Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, neurodegenerative decline. There was a, a, a neuroscientist who said that nicotine is the most reliable cognitive enhancer that we know of. It enhances working memory. It enhances verbal fluidity. It enhances reaction time in most studies. And nicotine, interestingly enough, when separated, now if you don't smoke, if you don't use e-cigarettes, I'm not saying go ahead and use nicotine. But nicotine, when separated from combustible cigarettes, especially nicotine in isolation, when you look at the animal studies, is not very addictive. And it's not very harmful. It is addictive, so is caffeine. So, so is marijuana, by the way, for people who don't like to admit that. But it's not that addictive. It's not that harmful. And, as we see in Europe, if people are able to use e-cigarettes to get off of traditional cigarettes, which we know are bad for you, I see that as a good thing. And I also see it, right now, I see all of this as a missed opportunity to talk about the legitimate benefits or potential medical uses of nicotine. Because you know what? I was on the other side of the fence with marijuana for a long time, too. Because people were pushing it so hard as a cure for cancer, and I go, ah, oh, that's bullcrap. Just don't talk to me. I don't even want to listen to you. Well, now I'm in the stage of my life, and I've talked about this, where, hey, you know what? If there's a use to it, and there's a way to minimize any kind of harm, for example, people taking mega doses and smoking joints and driving, but people can reap the medicinal benefits, that's great. We're not quite there with nicotine, but if there is a way to find out how to isolate nicotine and if it provides some kind of reliable uh, cognitive enhancement and potentially preventative, uh, it could act as a preventative measure for cognitive decline, we should be exploring that. But all of this is to get off the beam to say, whether you agree with anything that I've just said or not, whether you agree with the science and the clinical trials versus the studies and the metadata or not, you have to decide. Should the government be banning things just because you don't like that thing? Should the government be in the business of telling adults what they can and cannot put in their own body, provided that it isn't harming other people? And if you answer yes to any of the above, and you have conservative or libertarian in your Twitter profile, you need to remove it. And if you say this is a great thing just because Trump has done it, you have a problem. You have a problem and I would recommend seeking counseling or having a cigar. Some great opinions being expressed there by Steven Crowder, which was from his September 12th report on the vaping ban. I ran across this other article, which may almost sound like regulation can be a positive, with this headline, Ottawa studies looser ad rules for vaping products. Companies could get okay to tout e-cigarettes as a way to reduce harm from smoking, though doctors say such a move would be a big mistake. And this from the Globe and Mail of October 18th by Carly Weeks, their health reporter. But contrary to the implications of the headline, these looser ad rules do not imply a looser grip on the marketplace by the regulators. They're only talking about different regulations. Regulations that could again, in the near future, be changed and reimposed on the market. And I quote, The federal government is considering letting e-cigarette companies promote the health benefits of their products to the public, despite the growing number of young Canadians who vape and mounting questions about the long-term risks. Current rules prevent vaping companies from making any health benefit claims. But Health Canada's consultation document says it may make an exception to allow e-cigarette manufacturers to use promotional statements that suggest vaping products are less harmful than cigarettes. 
Physicians, researchers, and health organizations say allowing companies to make those claims would be a critical misstep because such statements play down the risks of e-cigarettes and could encourage more young people to vape. Theo Mores, a staff respirologist at Toronto's Hospital for Sick Children, said there is no credible evidence showing that vaping products are safer than traditional cigarettes and companies should not be allowed to promote such an idea. Critics say that the federal government has already mishandled the vaping file by permitting the industry to expand its reach while failing to implement policies that are needed to address the looming youth vaping crisis. It's astonishing, said Andrew Pipe, chair of the Heart and Stroke Foundation and a professor of medicine at the University of Ottawa. To me, it's one very small component of a much bigger public health challenge, which requires regulation in a much broader, much more comprehensive manner, end quote. So what the hell does that mean? More and broader regulation solves Nothing, unless that regulation is outright prohibition, and even then it doesn't solve anything. But that's exactly what all doctors would call for, given their politically fascist mindsets. I mean, they can't say anything else as a doctor. A doctor can't tell you that smoking is better for you than not smoking, but that doesn't address the social implications or the reality of the situation. I mean, there are even doctors calling for additional gun bans as a health care measure of all things. And how dumb is that? And how are policies that are needed to address the looming youth vaping crisis any different from those that would address the looming youth smoking crisis with which we've lived since smoking was invented? But the only other kind of regulations possible are the crony monopolist kind of regulations that we now have, and that in no way address health issues. Short of prohibition, which also has not proved an obstacle to cannabis use, those are the only kinds of regulations generally possible. Drugs sell themselves, noted one of the characters in a previously played audio bite from the television series Weeds. How true. Fact is, human beings have been using various drugs since time immemorial. Fact is, every drug that someone chooses to use serves some perceived function or purpose for that person who is a biological being. Fact is, no single drug or food or medicine is safe in any absolute no-risk way. So trying to pretend that we can change these realities already sets us off on the wrong foot, heading in the wrong direction. And and consider the context of all of this. Smoking cigarettes and smoking joints are perfectly legal in Canada, provided you've purchased them from the government-approved monopolist licensed to sell them. And the very same cigarette or joint would be illegal if it was purchased from someone who's not licensed to do so. And what kind of message does that send? Crime pays, especially if you legalize it. Jeez. And then with respect to cannabis, there's the added complication of someone who's growing their own. Cannabis that would be legal so long as the grower has no more than four plants, which would be illegal if the grower had five plants or more. How ridiculous can we get with this? How much regulation can you possibly dump on top of regulations? This is insanity, folks. We already have the perfect and time-tested system of so-called regulation, if you want to look at it that way, and that's the protection of life, liberty, and property under an objective set of laws that apply equally to all. The government should be a referee, not the key player in the game. You know what this condition of governing is called? It's called anarchy, a condition that exists when there is no government or too much regulation, regulations that no longer serve the purpose of governing a free people, because that's when you've got no government again. Government ceases the minute that government ceases to be the referee. 
And then there's the issue of left-wing and right-wing, two sides of the same regulatory coin. And I'm talking about the wings here, not the polarities. When Justin Trudeau, two federal elections ago, promised to quote-unquote legalize cannabis, it was a promise made by a left-winger, and so true legalization was never in the cards. As far as the cannabis market and economy were concerned, the so-called legalization under the Trudeau regime made things better for consumers, which is great, not all of them are going to jail for using pot, and worse for producers, because now the producers are the ones going to jail and being regulated. Pot is no more legal today than it was before it was legalized. This is a characteristic of the difference between left and right, and if you look in broad generic terms, the left wing caters to what it likes to call consumer rights, whereas the right wing caters to what it would call producer rights. But both wings cater to crony politics, and both wings are attached to the polarity of the left. You've got this bird of the left flying in a leftward direction with the left and right wings on it, and that's one of the reasons we always make it clear that we're not right wing, we're just right. And legalization to politicians does not mean what it means to most of us. What should have been a simple decriminalization of pot use became a state monopoly for the sale of pot. And that's why Trudeau, the lefty, preferred to legalize rather than decriminalize. The criminals were simply replaced by the politicians and their supporters. And the people who control the pot market are, as I said before, potheads, the true potheads. The problem for the rest of us is that Equality before and under the law simply does not exist under the rule of regulation and crony politics, and it opens the door to more of the same in the future. So it's time to face the reality that our politicians have absolutely no idea of what to do about society's general issues with drug use. I mean, just look at what they've done with respect to opioid use and abuse. Opioid addictions are the big drug problem today, and the government response is to both encourage and enable this addiction. They set up safe injection sites at the expense of taxpayers. These sites might be safe for those injecting, but they're not safe for the neighborhoods where they're located, and they're not safe for taxpayers and citizens at large who are being forced to pay for a service that never affected them before. So I hope that what you've heard today hasn't increased your anxiety level to a point where you've been driven to drink or resort to some kind of drug use. But if it has, don't blame me. And don't thank me either. I'm just a messenger. A messenger who's asking you to join us again next week when we'll continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right. And be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be I am living in Ottawa now, the nation's capital. I can't believe I wound up in a government town. I'm one of these guys, I kid you not, I have like hated the government since junior high school. You know, because I was in junior high when the government had the brilliant idea that Canada should go metric. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I remember well because that was the year all the dope dealers got straight A's. <laughs> okay, some of you know what I'm talking about, good. <laughs> to that corner over there. If you don't know what I meant, remember that, that time of year, like the teacher was coming in every week, you know, the metric conversion quiz. We got to learn this new system. Okay, first question, class. Um, how many grams in an ounce? 28. <laughs> I'm like,
like overnight, that one creepy guy at the back of the room has all the answers. Eh? <laughs> well, it's 27. Once you take the seeds out, it varies. <laughs> Jesus. Those good students are struggling. Meanwhile, Cheech and Chong are on the reach for the top team. What's going on? 